You're listening to Extra Textual. This is a show where we talk about an idea, concept, theme, trend, and relate it to some kind of media like film, TV, video games, books, music, and hopefully discover something about ourselves or our culture along the way. Thanks for listening. All right, welcome to the show. This is Eli Steenlinch, and I'm back with Jeremy Holiday. And tonight we are talking about the New York Times article mm-hmm. by the two film critics, A.O. Scott and Manola Dargis. Mm-hmm. So they created a list of the best, uh, the 25 best films of the 21st century so far. Yeah. So just kind of a way for us to think about what films since the year 2000, you know, have had. Uh, you know, um, a strong impact on, you know, really like them um, in this case, yeah. but also in film critic circles um, more so, because I think there's some, a little more obscure ones on their list. But I think they, they totally acknowledge that, you know, they said this is sort of an interactive list is how they presented yeah. it. And so they acknowledge like, whenever you make these whatever best lists that no one's going to agree with everything that you put on there right. and they're going to strongly disagree with certain things and it's pretty subjective. So with all of that, but I think there were a lot of commonalities that at least I could understand where they're coming from. And yeah. um, I did create my own list, which we can talk about a little bit later of mm-hmm. my 25 best films. And I know... From the reaction Jeremy had to some of the films, that some yeah. of them are more personal to me. And it was fine. It's your make list. A sense. Yeah, exactly. I do want to say that yeah, yeah. the get go that I find like making lists like this really challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, partially because you know, despite like the fact that I like have very strong opinion about some things that I don't like, mm-hmm. I also like like a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's hard for me to like make decisions about among the good things that I like. What are the best? What are the best mm. things? And what are those things? You know. Yeah. Um, it's easier, you know, uh, if there's like some sort of criteria, like what is mm-hmm. the best action film? What is the best well-paced right. film? Be what is the be- specific, you know, yeah. things like that. I find that easier than just because when someone's like, "What's your, what's your, what's, the, what's, what's like your favorite film of all time?" Right. It's like uh, I usually say Moulin Rouge, but sometimes it's something <laughs> else. But you know, like beyond that, it's like, you know, billions of things. Because even when yeah. I say Moulin Rouge, I'm like, I'm more concerned about like what that says about me. I'm like, but, right. but I could say Star Wars or Lord of the Rings right. or a, a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. Sometimes I'm like, well, you know, which film have I probably, like, watched the most and yeah. most often is probably the Star Wars films. But, like, yeah. is that what I want to say to people right. to be like, well, it's, you know, there's there's a lot of... goes into when you say something like my favorite film is Star Wars or something, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. And what I thought about with my list is also... Well, I guess one reason, like you said, it's, it's hard to make these lists, but one reason I've started to do this more often or pick, like, my favorite films of the year yeah. is in trying to make our own films, yeah. I've started to think through, like, when I'm writing, want to write something, like, what what do I appreciate in films and mm-hmm. how can I make that more impactful? I think one, I think you're a little more of a, um, a thoughtful writer than I am maybe of these things, but... I, I think we made a few short film projects together, and certainly we've done things on our own before that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I started to realize, well, I think it became more about let's get this project done than let's make it perfect as much as we can, or like mm-hmm. let's make this as well written as we can before we start, instead of like here's a arbitrary deadline, let's get it done. Which, yeah. in the one hand, helped us get things 
just get something done and yeah. keep working. But I think I'm at the point where I'm like, well, what do I appreciate and how can I integrate those things into something I'm writing or like um, just those elements, not necessarily borrowing from mm-hmm. them directly. So I guess that's and the other thing, which I think they did to some degree, the film critics from New York Times is to think about what, how can we represent a wide aspect of films, whether mm-hmm. it's different genres, yeah. that these are important films in these genres. Mm-hmm. So some of them might seem a little, a little more unusual, like The 40-Year-Old Virgin, which is a good film, but I think they were trying to represent like the R-rated comedies kind of came of age during the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. So they wanted to kind of represent those, um, those kind of things in there. And I think... Uh, they also maybe wanted to say, you know, and this is how I approach it some too, who are like the filmmakers that influenced me yeah. during this period and what would be like the representative film that I would pick from their their series of films that they've made right. during this period. So so yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the representation I was trying to do. So kind of throwing out some of the films here, number one on their list, and I think pretty high on my list, is There Will Be Blood. And I know... <laughs> Jeremy, we brought this up in the past, and he's yeah. not quite sure where that's coming from. I remember talking to other friends um, before any of the, this list came out or something, and I was like, well, I think, you know, uh, There Will Be Blood is probably one of the best films in the last 10 years or so, last decade. And they're like, what? That's not a good film. That's, like, really hard. To... So I don't think you're the only one that's felt yeah, that I way. Yeah, I, I, I mean, like, when we were talking... Um, yeah. Uh, you know, a few episodes ago with, you know, Colin Burnett about, mm-hmm. you know, Alien Covenant, and I was kind of like, can you just tell me <laughs> what's good about it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've seen There Will Be Blood twice. The first time, I just sort of watched it. Mm-hmm. I think it was a rental, perhaps. Okay. Um, and then my friend Sean Neal was like, oh my god, this film was amazing, you gotta watch this film. Yeah. And I was like, what film so is that? It's like, There'll it. Be Blood. And I was like, oh, I think I've seen that. It's like, no, no, you know, like, you haven't seen it. You must have and like, it yeah. turns out, it's the same, you know, it was the same film. I watched it a second time. I, I'm willing to admit that, like, I just didn't get it. Yeah. I, you, there was, there's just so many times in it when, like, the, the music is dramatic and somebody's doing something mm-hmm. and it seems clear that I'm supposed to care about, care about or so. get meaning out of what's happening mm-hmm. and I just don't yeah. it's like totally lost on me which is totally fine I mean it's obviously there are a lot of people that really like it yeah um, and I know you talked about like the pacing and sort of the cinematography and a whole lot of elements of it that you really really like mm-hmm. it seems pretty um uh, you know, it, I just seem to, yeah. in essence, not get it. I mean, a few things without... I'm going to spend a lot of time on each of these films, but, like, I think both the characterization, I think the acting is pretty amazing. I mean, I would listen to Daniel Day-Lewis in that Daniel Plainfield character, like, read the phone book. Yeah. I just think, like, that character is pretty amazing in the way he uh, develops his pattern of speech and voice and stuff. And then I really... Not everybody appreciates Paul Dano in that film, but I think... It's a great performance. I would often show when I was teaching film the scene in the church where Daniel Plainfield comes in and there's sort of like Paul Dano's character is this pastor in the small town and he's like exercising these demons or something from these people. And it just sort of starts very quiet and he's sort of like praying over these people up front in the, in the small church and it just sort of builds and he like walks into the pews with the people there and it just like 
crescendos into this big thing where everybody's kind of up in arms and and it's all like one shot so I just think like things like that where just that one scene that one shot like tells like this whole has this whole arc within it and I think it also uh, shows the the battle between these characters like this sort of corporate um, approach to things with Daniel Plainfield which I think is talking about modern America and how it corporations just kind of take over these areas which he he's all just about this money and power and influence and then the other side of like religion that's kind of doing the same thing and so I think they're in this battle almost to like make each other admit that that's what they're doing um, that they don't have pure means or pure motivations for what they're doing um, so yeah and then, and then I think it does we were talking about this a lot in our last podcast about like and this certainly isn't an action film but I think it takes time for these smaller moments mm-hmm. um, that I really appreciate and, it's, yeah. and I think it is a little bit more like elliptical in its filmmaking um, that you sort of just see moments in their life sort of yeah. happening and it's not always like a clear like story of one incident causes another incident mm-hmm. to happen um, and I think this is where Paul Thomas Anderson sort of grew up a little bit I think Punch Drunk Love was like a turning point for him, and then this is like he went and came into his own filmmaking instead of parroting other filmmakers like Scorsese uh, and things like that. Yeah, um, I mean, I do. I mean, I, I, I do. I will fully admit yeah. that it is a very unique film. Yeah, it, it doesn't look. I mean, I, I, I can't really like find anything, yeah. anything else that it looks like mm-hmm. or feels like. Right. I mean, it has a very unique style, which mm-hmm. is very. I don't know. Uh, bold. I mm-hmm. mean, like it's unmistakable. Yeah. Like you don't you don't miss it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you know that is I think worth something, um, uh, and worth a lot. Yeah. And it's something that I do value. Yeah. Even if I don't necessarily get it. Mm-hmm. And I do like this is the last thing I'll kind of say, but why I like Terrence Malick a lot too is it has this sense of like scenes. I think because of like the music is more um, atmospheric and stuff. But it just feels like scenes like flow into each other. It's like it's not yeah. like this scene has an end and then we go on to this next thing. It just like flows yeah. through the whole thing and just keeps like moving. Almost like yeah. a like a symphony. You yeah. Know, in a movement. Yeah. Um, uh, you mentioning elliptical um, reminds me of another film which I just adored, which is not on this list, mm-hmm. on this list which is Brokeback Mountain. Oh yeah, yeah. Two thousand six. I mean, it's like a, a huge film in our family I think my wife mm-hmm. saw it like five times at the theater <laughs> and we probably watched it three or four times when it, yeah. you know like at home after it was you know released on video because um, that story you know there's in the short story that it's based on are, are, is a very elliptical telling of like two men's lives from mm-hmm. you know early 20s to like their 40s or something like yeah. that you know in, in a course of you know I think six or seven different incidences or incidents mm-hmm. um, I mean like it's probably one of my favorite love stories of all time mm-hmm. I mean Jake Dylan <laughs> Hall is amazing. Heath yeah. Ledger is great. I mean, like when I used to show, um, you know, some stuff in film classes, I would show there's a scene where they have a fight, mm. you know, and it's sort of like it's this follow shot between Heath Ledger and they talk, and it's sort of when they like sort of talk about sort of like the significance of what Brokeback Mountain is. Yeah. Um, and it's just like a, um, they both are doing slightly stylized speech patterns, mm-hmm. but like it's not bogus, and they're like, and it gets a little bit messed up when they're yelling at each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seemed like um, 
a really, really complicated love story with a lot of like emotional angst and weight in it mm-hmm. that um, gets played out, you know, physically and with camera angles and everything. And I just yeah. like um, just adored it, mm-hmm. you know. And, and like the music from the very beginning has sort of echoes of like Shenandoah, though it's not that song. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I like I, you know, it it does I think pass one of my test which is like the island test like if, if i were on an island and i had one movie yeah. like there are a few things like that you know princess bride the first iron man movie and brokeback mountain is like i mean i would cry a lot on the island i was on <laughs> um but i just you know i mean if i look across the you know the general like you know popular film or film mm-hmm. released to like theaters in my lifetime you know there's only one other film that tells a a love story of that sort of weight and that's romeo and juliet mm-hmm. and even that it's like I wouldn't take it like I mm. like I like Brokeback Mountain Brokeback is I think because it tells the story of two lovers over like thirty years, mm. um, and and just like the, all the individual scenes about how they lived their different lives yeah. and the, and the contrast because there's this this punctuated violence at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I just like I, there have been a few films in my life that like I was just sort of like transfixed by, mm. and that was one of them. Another one, which is was when I saw Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon for the first time. Yeah, I like I was incapable of like processing what I had just seen. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how they did that. Yeah, I don't know how they thought of that. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't believe they were talking philosophy while jumping on willow trees and fighting with swords. Right. It is one of the coolest things I have ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. How do they you know, like how, yeah, how did this how good. did it come into being? And in watching Brokeback Mountain, it was like, you know, I was so entranced by the story and mm-hmm. by the filmmaking and the pacing and everything that I just I you know, I was like absolutely sucked in from like the very beginning. Um, and was 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 made to feel a lot of emotion from it. Yeah. Those are both Ang Lee films, coincidentally. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. uh, I, so, mean, I mean, I think one thing I was going to mention is uh, that I think there's a few instances where we see like a foreign director who comes in and tells like an American story, we might say, um, or at least taking place in in the West, and um, and I think they can see things differently or present them in a new light that we're not used to. No. So something very American and mythic, like the cowboys. Um, and the old west i think kind of reimagined in this in this different sense with the t- characters yeah. portrayed very differently the different relationships that we see i think is is really unique um, and it's interesting cuz like i mean i know it's a, it's a gay cowboy movie right yeah um i don't really like i don't it's not the cowboy part that is most meaningful to me mm-hmm. it's like the um the way in which they are with their families mm-hmm. it's not so much like you know right. that they're, they're wrestling cattle or whatever but like that the, yeah. one guy's a track he's a tractor salesman and the other mm-hmm. one is just sort of like an ordinary guy who has a wife and a kid and like yeah. and they like uh you know their their gayness was interesting but they were like totally ordinary folk and in mm-hmm. a kind of ordinary that like resonates with like my like upbringing in western pennsylvania yeah um so it just connected like i i just connected on sort of uh, so many levels with the way they were portrayed mm-hmm. um and certainly i mean there is all the stuff about the west and like those beautiful opening shots of them riding with the, the cattle and the sheep you know yeah. it's you know like in creating these strong visual images of you know different kinds of traditional masculinity and mm-hmm. yeah for sure we should pause for a sec because i think okay. they need to switch batteries again okay 
So here we go. We're going? Yeah. Okay. So to kind of continue through this list, um, a few things that I want to touch on. Uh, Spirited Away is number two on their list. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I've talked about this when I was watching it with my kids. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, th- I think it's just great to see it that high on the list. I think it is, you know, sort of like Miyazaki swan song of like what he'd been building to maybe for his career as far as what he learned about animating characters and um, the emotions behind it. So I, I talked a lot about that before, but I don't know. If, oh, know, I, mean, I don't have anything else to add except yeah. that, I mean, like, I think it's great. Mm-hmm. It's like one of the best films of all time, let yeah. alone in the past 17 years. Yeah. Um, it's great to see an animated film on the list. Right. Um, and at number two. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, there is, you know, that's a film that also, like, I think you can watch it when you're 7 and when you're 13 and when yeah. you're 20 and 25 and 30 and 40 mm-hmm. and there's going to be themes and stories um, that are going to resonate with you. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I'm like, you know, it's essentially a coming of age story um, and it has, you know, all kinds of really interesting stuff in it. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it because um, it's awesome. Yeah. And I, and I think some of the films, the way I would look at their list is, I feel like they took some of the major filmmakers of mm-hmm. this period, and they've chosen films to represent that filmmaker that maybe were important to them. And I think that is, I, I maybe identify with some of the filmmakers they've chosen, but the films they've picked from those filmmakers are not necessarily um, the ones that I would would pick as my strongest. Not that they are bad films. We have Million Dollar Baby from Clint Eastwood. Um, we have with for Richard, Richard Linkletter, Boyhood, um, Olivier Asias, who has been uh, making some great, his last couple films. I liked uh, Clouds of Sils Maria more than Summer Hours. They picked Summer Hours. Mm-hmm. Um, Catherine Bigelow's Hurt Locker. And overall, I'm not super uh, impressed with her honestly i think her films are fine just not completely taken with them the way that other people seem to the coen brothers inside lou and davis um i think was really solid um i mean they they make a lot of good films but i don't know that that would be my my top list one um throwing a few more out here steven spielberg of course they picked munich which i think jeremy had some dispute about oh Um, i mean just like you weren't sure why that would be what they pick. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, Steven Spielberg is a great filmmaker. I mean, like mm-hmm. I, when I would, uh, I would often show, teach stuff from like Saving Private Ryan because mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, I think it is so so good. Yeah, um, I know a lot of my film fo- other film folks are like, I mean, come on, it's like a war movie. Yeah, and I'm like, but it's the best war movie. <laughs> Um, and there's you know, there's so much in it that I like. I like the music is, uh-huh. is excellent. I mean, I mean, if you if you like. Like, have you ever listened to like a radio spot that's talking about like a, like a heritage flight where they fly like mm-hmm. a veterans back to Washington D.C. They use sound, they use music yeah. from Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. I mean, I think that there is, I mean, like an entire like two generation, two sort of like a silver age and a golden age mm-hmm. of war films about World War One and World War Two yeah. that Saving Private Ryan sort of encapsulates in into itself mm-hmm. and sort of you know tells a, like a definitive, amazingly well produced story about. Right. folks in this world yeah um i love it munich is a, i mean it's an interesting story right um because it touches on a lot of different things it's pretty you know. it's pretty bold for like a mainstream even like spielberg yeah blockbuster. um it's a I challenging just, you know 
it's like um it just seemed it was like i saw it mm-hmm. it was okay i mean I, I, one of the i mean visually it has a, a lot of it's a, a lot of heavily crunched effects you know mm-hmm. you know a la traffic yeah. which is cool yeah um but it's like you know like I don't know. Often in the film, I feel like it covered up for a lot of like mediocre sets or mediocre mm. stuff. The acting was fine. Um, I just I like wasn't, you know, like I mean, if I had to pick, you know, I understand this list is from like the past seventeen years. Right. I mean, if I had to pick like Steven Spielberg films that should go in the archive of all time, it, uh-huh. it would not be one of them. Yeah. Um, but you know, yeah, that's, that's mean, just sort of my yeah. I mean, that's that's hard. I I think I appreciate Munich more than like I connect to it. Um, I re I rewatched it in the last couple of years, and uh, I think again like technically and the acting and the story like I appreciated certain moments of it, but I I just couldn't get into it very much. It didn't stick with me memorably. Well, yeah, um, I mean it also, I mean it it felt kind of like a I mean like a biopic or yeah, you know this thing right. where it's about this historical event, and mm-hmm. I'm like it's kind of like more fun than a documentary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't. It didn't grip me the, and it, it also didn't take like again like Saving Private Ryan. It didn't take like a historical event, and and sort of transform it in a way that it it uh, it becomes like a you can tell the story in sort of different ways. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, there's like such a tradition of war films, you know, and mm-hmm. there aren't a lot of films about yeah. this event that happens in Munich. You yeah. know, I mean, that's right, yeah. espionage or you know yeah. like. I did um, like that it was pulling in these elements of spy and espionage. Yeah. Um, I would say for my list, because I did want to include Spielberg, because even though I don't like everything that he's been putting out lately, especially in this period, mm-hmm. there I do think he is still a formidable filmmaker. So I think for me, it is a problematic film, but AI, I think, is one that's really stuck with me. It has enough interesting things. I mean, I've talked about I'm interested in artificial intelligence, so you have it right there in the title. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, it probably does, like that third act, I think, does not quite hit home completely. But I think up to that point is so fascinating. And I still think, even as sort of a misstep, the, the ending is bold and uh, tries something big um, mm-hmm. to say something. And even is kind of like soft sort of ending on mm-hmm. purpose um, that just kind of uh, melts away into the, into the ending. But I, I appreciate so much. I think the performances are really strong. The vision of, of that world is, is really fascinating. Um, so that was kind of my pick. I do appreciate like something like Lincoln. It, it wasn't like something that totally stuck with me, but it, I think it is a, a fine achievement, things like that. But yeah. Well, I mean, I also on, on their list number seven was Inside Out, yeah, um, which I liked. I mean, mm-hmm. I thought uh, it yeah. was a really interesting kind of story. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's not often that you see like multiple representations of someone's internal life, yeah, being something that's dramatized. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think, I mean, it, you know, it also because uh, it's a kids movie, mm-hmm. like it, it seems to have value in that it it promotes a. a a good way of looking at yourself yeah. and at the world, yeah. uh, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think, I mean, 
uh, you know, the voice of happiness is um, Amy Poehler, yeah. who I just fell in love with when I was watching Parks and Rec, Parks so I'm Rec, yeah. happy to see her all over the place. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, but, like, you know, I, one of the things, if, I, if I'm one of my standards, right, you know, it's like if I look, I'm like, like what, what else do I have that sort of a- approaches this sort of storytelling kind of mm-hmm. approach? Yeah. We got, we got Herman's Head, this old, <laughs> like, early 90s show on Fox where I wish the, the people, have you seen the show? I don't think so. Herman said, and so it's like, um, it's this guy named Herman, and inside of his head, like each of his personalities or elements of a personality are represented by different people. Oh. There's like a, a fat dude who's like into sports and girls. Yeah. There's like a sensitive woman who's a curly hair who's like mm-hmm. into the more sensitive stuff. Um, incidentally, in the show, a yearly Smith played opposite him as his love interest in mm. the show. Is on Fox. Yeah. Um, and so you have that. It, it's a fun show for those that watched it. I don't mm-hmm. think it went more than a couple seasons. Yeah. But, I mean, it was certainly in the, like, funny genre. Yeah. Um, and, and, and kind of, like, in that weird genre of stuff in, like, the late 80s. Like, where, where mm. Parker Lewis Can't Lose is in there. Okay. You know, just some, like, weird yeah. series. Weird I watched concepts, a lot of TV. Yeah. yeah. You also have, um, I, think it's, I think it's called, like, This Is Your Life. Uh, Albert Brooks is in it. Okay. Do you know that TV show? No, it's just a com- it's a it's a movie. It's a comedy. That sounds familiar. Yeah. He like dies, and then he gets to like review his life. Yeah. In sort of in a you know and he kind of goes back in his own mm-hmm. head, and he gets to sort of see these yeah. experiences through his own head. So you have a little bit there, but you don't. There was also, and I this is a I feel strange saying this, but there's sort of like a a, a medically informed clinical approach <laughs> to the way they talk about the human mind inside out inside out yeah. and you know in, in talking about like different mm-hmm. emotions and the way that they can be positive or negative and yeah. how you have core memories and like all that seemed really helpful mm-hmm. and interesting yeah. for people that have trauma people that have suffered people mm-hmm. that hurt and certainly for kids um, and so it had I mean it's like it had sort of like a a very clever sort of like public service announcement element to it yeah. um, that I felt that I felt put it that elevated it up there with like some of the best of like Fred Rogers work mm-hmm. where he's like he's entertaining kids yeah. but he's like helping kids be healthy and happy mm-hmm. and I was really um, happy to see Pixar and Disney do that yeah I mean I, I appreciated that you know, the ending really hits home as a parent. So we were talking yeah. about Spirited Away that you can kind of watch at any age. And I think this hits a lot of people too. Like, I think it did have an effect, like you said, of making my um, my oldest son kind of see something different about his own feelings and actually thinking through that, what's happening in, his, in, in himself. And also me as a parent and kind of looking back and understanding what's happening with my kids and making it okay to not be put on like a happy face all the time and think yeah. like that that's what we might and, and present think, that like kids can't be sad or or show that sort of emotion um and which I, got, I don't think it's something that we necessarily like believe well, but like you, it's yeah, still the message that's sort yeah, of out there. i do have to say that like i mean we are like on the on the on the cutting edge of like the social media generation yeah like i mean all of us who are around whatever right. like the the ways in which like posting on Facebook and posting on Instagram mm-hmm. um, like that world is very can be very oppressive yeah because um, people yeah. are you know 
particular, maybe your particular group of Instagram is all like, here's awesome stuff I do with my kids, <laughs> and it makes everybody feel bad. Right. It's like, here's my perfect, I did my hair, and I did, you know, like, like yeah. the world of mommy blogs, or yeah. daddy blogs, or, you know, things like that. And, you know, and, and, the, and there's also, you know, conversely, those folks um, that are, like, very brutally honest about, like, <laughs> I just like vomited in the toilet today right, or right, like right. I, like yeah. I was I used to be sober for 128 days and now I'm back to zero. Yeah. Um but there doesn't seem but even that like it's brutally honest mm-hmm. but it's also not the full picture of that person or that yeah. person's life it's about this particular yeah. moment. Um and and so I just I, I appreciated that the the focus of it was on what what the, what the, what the girl is doing which how she's feeling about it. Mm-hmm. Um, cuz there is so much I mean I think it's naive to say that like the pressure to be um, happy mm-hmm. um, is not very pernicious. Yeah, I think that you can ask some dudes about that, and they'll be like, it's "Not all that big of a deal." Yeah. You can ask some girls about it, and they'll tell you a different story yeah. about how they totally need to be happy and smiling <laughs> and make other people feel happy and smiling, and that's an expectation they've had of them since they were younger because they're girls. Yeah, um, and so I, there's a lot that goes on there, and I think. I mean, I don't know Amy Poehler personally. I say that all the time. Um, but I, I, I do think that she puts her hat in the ring for a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like Parks and Rec is super entertaining, yeah. but also partially inspiring a generation of binder-wielding world changers, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, uh, I just wanted to mention as far as, like, Richard Linkletter, which I feel like a lot more people are high on than I am. And Boyhood... I may be the only one in the world that was not impressed with this, but I thought it was like a little bit, well, this is going to sound weird because by all understandings, this would not sound like a lazy film because they shot it over years, had to return to this character and do this. But I felt like even using that um, conceit, it was sort of like felt lazy to me. And I think Linkletter in general, his filmmaking is a little more, takes things slowly, kind of wanders a bit, and that's why some people like it. Um, but I just felt like so much more could have been done with this this premise of this boy like actually growing up in front of us, um, and he just didn't didn't hit home with it. I know it was like years ago, so I'm sure he improved as a filmmaker through the years of making this too, but like the first sections felt like a bad student film and some of the acting I think is just not not great. Like I said, I may be the only one, but uh, I'm not, that's definitely not the Linkletter film. I'd probably choose one of the uh, like Before Midnight films or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And then also on their list, uh, towards the bottom, mm-hmm. um, well, so right in the middle, so uh, ninth, well, 20 is Moonlight. I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, every account I've ever read of it, it says it's awesome, so I'll have to. But 19 was Mad Max, you know, colon, Fury Road. Yeah. Um, which did, did we see that together? We did, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. The, but before I get to two more serious commentary about it, I mean, like, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, of Meatloaf, um, the, you know, as a musician, as yeah. an actor. Um, and there's just something about his like loud bold honesty about everything that I was has been always attractive to me as a listener Uh Um, and there's just there's like a moment in Fury Road towards the end when there's a big chase and there's like a guy suspended on a rope playing like a fire breathing like like a (laughs) flame throwing guitar and I was like this is not out of place and the fact that we got to that moment is just genius (laughs) I mean there's all kinds of other stuff that I think is really good about it but there's just like 
you know, like, you you just took this movie to 11. Yeah. Right? You know, it's a bunch of, like, grimy, dirty, driving around things, spraying, shiny. And you, and you went out of your way to put a guy suspended on a crane rope with a, a flame shooting guitar right. in front yeah. of a giant marshal or giant stack yeah. um, that uh, you're driving in your battle. Um, Pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, more seriously, though, I mean, like, there are... Um, I know that I think it was actually about this film that I first coined the taint, the coined the term manternet, mm. which is like like all of the like masculine gaze yeah. of the internet. The, like the manternet was all bunched up about um, Fury Road and, yeah. and the you know the sort of like the feminist stuff in it. Mm-hmm. But there is, I mean, there is all kinds of interesting stuff with gender. I mean, we got we got like adult dudes that are living off of like <laughs> breast milk. You know, farm right, for yeah. women that are there, um, and then like we got this like cyborg Furioso woman mm-hmm. who like rescues these other women, and like yeah. the scene in which like she steps like you know she's smuggling them out in this truck. Mm-hmm. The scene in which like they're out like bathing in the water. <laughs> right. I was like, this is c- crazy. Yeah. And I'm like, who? What are they doing? And like I was like, oh, there must be those people. Like I understand what they're doing here, but like um, I think it was designed to be really like a provoking a provocative shocking mm-hmm. moment and right. like it fully it's it like it works, full yeah. effect like it yeah. totally worked for me um you know and also i mean like and, and just like all the visual contrast between what they're wearing and the place they are in the world mm-hmm. that they're in and all this stuff um you know i love that because i mean like i mean I, I mean i've seen all three of the original mad max movies the original mad max uh, road warrior which is generally like when most people get on board yeah and then thunderdome which is thunderdome. Yeah. too much yeah but you know whatever yeah. we watch the three matrix movies so. <laughs> um but i think you know i mean so like the 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 mad max the essence of the mad max character is, is best expressed i think in road warrior mm-hmm. you know he's a loner he's a little crazy right um he's super destructive and this is like young mel gibson sort mm-hmm. of coming out of whatever because um, i mean Australia, yeah yeah i mean like because the first I mean, the first Mad Max film is a very small. Have you seen the first one? Yeah, it's a really small story about like a like a town, right? And we assume, like we're not even sure that it takes place in a different world. It, mm-hmm. We kind of think it does because right. it, it's kind of a post-apocalyptic, but mainly because of what people say, mm-hmm. you know. And then there is like there is this the toe cutter who's in the next town over and is a bad guy, yeah, you know, and like and like that seems inappropriate for like a regular place so it's <laughs> right, gotta right. be different closer, but yeah. you know, we don't really see this world fully mm-hmm. into road warrior you know mad max like he doesn't he doesn't he, he's totally self-sufficient yeah he takes care of himself he right. booby traps his car you know like all this mm-hmm. stuff um and so to see him many times like pushed out of the way in a shuri road yeah. for like her to for do something yeah. um and also, you know, like, is, is a bold thing, and I think mm-hmm. makes a lot of comments about him and her character, and also her as a woman. Yeah. Um, they also work together as a team, which is another one of the, which is like the, the antidote to the Mary Sue. Like, <laughs> right. it, like you know, the, the problem with um, the Mary Sue character is that, like, she's just, like, she never works on a team with people. She's either subordinate to them, or like, you know, some sort of, like, weirdo chaste powerful being that right. like is not even like really perfect. human yeah. right yeah. um so but she works as a team with them mm-hmm. and they and like i like that so that because some of the folks you know from the feminist perspective like well like she does take that shot and she does sacrifice her arm but you know max does help her out in a couple of situations and mm-hmm. i was like i got your point but the idea like that they they sometimes help each other out and are more on a team um right. i think it, um 
makes a much better case for her portrayal being good mm-hmm. and, and i liked it yeah. um it took me you know i think i've seen it twice i mean like i, I got more out of it the second time because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of little things yeah. in the way that they interact i think is good in there um i was happy to see this on their list yeah. i mean i i mean i um i read a.o scott's reviews a lot just to kind of see like what i think uh like a reasonable mm-hmm. thoughtful Sure. Um, opinion will be about a film because mm-hmm. he often he doesn't he re, sometimes he reviews stuff right right off the bat but he often waits a little bit or at least when it's published you know yeah. to be like yeah through, here's yeah. this thing people said this here's yeah. what I think yeah um, so I was I mean I was happy to see uh, Fury Road on there yeah I mean I think one of the elements of why they might have picked something like that besides it being a pretty good film is that they, again, wanted to represent some different genres. So I kind of took a cue from that. And so I was thinking, of like, what are sort of, like, important action films, uh, exciting films that maybe were important to me or influenced me? So I, I saw Casino Royale on a list that somebody had put on, and so I was like, yeah, actually, as a James Bond sort of fan, action fan, that was pretty influential. So at two points... It's the same filmmaker as an earlier James Bond movie when Pierce Brosnan started. Um, so he directed both the first film of Pierce Brosnan... GoldenEye and then Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. And, um, and then he directed Casino Royale, came back. Um, so I think he also improved if we talk about like yeah. filmmakers changing a lot. You can definitely see GoldenEye as like a very 90s kind of film. Um, and then Casino Royale is much more 2000s. And I'd... And you were talking about some of the tropes of that yeah, James yeah. Bond has to have, but I think with Casino Royale, he started to you see much sort of like a grittier James Bond. You see someone who's a little more vulnerable. We see a strong female character, so I think we still see women sort of objectified and things like that. But we see somebody who stands up to him and sees through sort of his facade yeah. um, and sort of like soften to that. And besides, I think, just, like, the the style of it always, like, is very thrilling to me. Um, we get sort of, like, these parkour, like, chases at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, two places, yeah. And no, then, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, Christina Royale is a, is a good film. Yeah. I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I think it, it gets away... Well, I mean, like, Daniel... I mean, I like Daniel Craig. Yeah. I mean, I think that... Uh, he plays a, a good Bond. He plays a modern Bond. Mm-hmm. I like the scene with the chair and, like, yeah. him getting hit and stuff. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't... I mean, he's normally not portrayed as being tough. Mm-hmm. And, like, like that's pretty tough. Yeah. You know, like, that, that's dope. about, like, yeah. as tough, tough as, as you get. Yeah. I mean, I do think, though, that they get away with a lot of stuff because it's, like, an old... It's, like, this is the first Bond story. Mm. So this is where all of these things come from. Mm. So I'm like, yeah, I mean... In that sense, like it makes sense. But oh, you know, he gets he gets sort of taken in by this woman, and that's why I sort of not trustful of them later. Yeah, I'm like yeah, okay. I mean, yeah. like if this is a James Bond origin story, uh-huh. like I buy it a little bit. Yeah. Um, I just uh, I don't know. I find a lot of the Bond films fun. I used to watch them a lot when I was a kid. I like, yeah. you know on TBS or whatever. I never. Uh, I'm just. I guess I'm not a fanboy. Yeah. You know, like I enjoy them. But it's also like, like super impressed, yeah. Yeah, and, and I've known you know folks that like you know uh, that like to. I mean, it's over, some of the stuff is so over the top mm-hmm. that it's you know you can like, you know, do it for cosplay or do it for dress up for James Bond characters at parties. You know, there's yeah. a lot of stuff you can do with it. It's just, uh, it's it's a male fantasy. Yeah. Um, and it it is a world centered entirely around 
a male fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's difficult for me to like appreciate yeah. more depth sure. to that male fantasy. I mean, because yeah. even like I just remember being at a, like a some presentation on feminism when I was in college, and you know, and some <laughs> jackass over on the side is like, yeah, but what about the dominatrix? You know, that's like you know, like that's a woman being in control. Yeah. You know, and she's like, yeah, it's a man's fantasy. She's doing exactly <laughs> what the man wants. The man wants to be beaten or dominated or yeah. something. She's doing what he wants. It's nothing to do with her. Right. It's about him because she's yeah. fulfilling his desire. And so there's just like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I'm totally happy to talk about Bond films as fun. When we start talking about like progressive portrayals yeah, yeah. of women in them, I'm like, okay. I mean, like, but there's there's a a, a huge overarching structure yeah um that underlays sort of all yeah of i mean by no fun. means do i think casino real is any sort of feminist film in the yeah. terms of i think it was progressive for that world um yeah. taking it. i don't think some of the films after that may like have gone backwards i think but but overall i mean i, I yeah. also do have a deep appreciation for the central conflict being a poker game yeah i mean i think that's just classy yeah that was cool Kind of some major themes to kind of talk about some of the films on the list. I was really glad to see I'm Not There on the New York Times list yeah. um, about Bob Dylan and seeing, you know, everybody, you know, from like Kate Blanchett playing Bob Dylan and I think is a sort of great approach to a biopic where you can never... Acknowledging, like, you can't really capture who this person was. Right. Like, we see aspects of who this person is or what they, how they were presented to us, mm-hmm. but not necessarily what they were realistically, because we can't really know and kind yeah. of represent. Like we I can't mean, boil it down to this like traumatic experience that they had when they were youth, like influenced everything that they were afterwards, which often happens. So yeah, I mean, I, I feel like time. I mean, um, there are a lot of like uh, give me shelter, like mm-hmm. documentaries about yeah. musical or pop culture figures. Mm-hmm. That I think um, both shed tremendous light on them and also sort of bend the genre yeah. about, like, you know, or like, or stop making sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. the, those films are, you know, like, you know, and, and, I, and I put, you know, um, the, the Stillman film in there as well, where mm-hmm. you're like, you have an expectation about what you're going to see and, like, you do not see that. Right. You have a very different yeah. opinion of the folks that are being pictured and about the kind of film you're mm-hmm. seeing. It's, it's right. a documentary and it's about yeah. something real. Um, but it, it, all those expectations get totally sort of bent um, as you go in there. And that's just fun. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for me, a lot of the films I noticed that were important for me, especially coming out of, like, I was an undergrad in the early 2000s, kind of finishing up. And so a lot of these films when I was studying film were influential, but uh, kind of the meta-ness of them. Things like uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Adaptation, um, have to include some of those. I mean, I think we could consider even like Moulin Rouge sort of uh, self-reflexive in some ways. Three Times, I think, also kind of represents a knowing understanding of kind of progression of time but i think you know eternal sunshine i really enjoyed at the time that you know you have this machine that can erase certain memories from your mind which is you know of course not possible but we see the sort of reliving of these memories as you lose them and kind of understanding that those are the things that make you who you are yeah and also make up even like relationships that you may not be totally happy with, it's still those things that make you who you are. Um, 
Yeah, and, and, and it also still manages to be really funny and fun and yeah. imaginative. I mean, I think, I mean, I won't linger too much, but I, yeah. I think there's a great maturity in that approach to things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even contem- if we just, you know, like wander for a moment in the world of time travel. Yeah. You know, which it, it, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is not explicitly time travel, yeah. but it's about it's changing the past. Mm-hmm. It's about changing memory about it. Right. Um, and I think that there's, the, like, there, there's a great deal of maturity in understanding that some stuff isn't good or bad mm-hmm. it, it just is yeah. and you can't change it right you know like you and you know eternal you know eternal sunshine talks about changing it mm-hmm. but like the ultimate but also the ultimate bit about it is yeah. that like it that there's a different way of understanding things other than is it good or is it bad mm-hmm. um, because it becomes you know constitutive of experience and yeah. that and that in the the, the the whole experience you value Oh, uh, I'm in the genre of uh, musical or music-related films. I saw it on your list when we were checking mm-hmm. out it. It's almost famous, you know, additional, you know, yeah. uh, previously, you know, I think it was it was untitled when he originally did it. I mean, like, that is like a, a, a burning beacon of film mm-hmm. in my in my mind. I yeah. mean, like, at least in my life. Like, yeah. I remember, like, I remember watching it. My, my friend who was into film gave it to me, my friend mm-hmm. Ryan. And like, I mean, he had the original DVD, which in which it was called Untitled, mm. you know. And I was like, and I like, yeah. I like, just like all the characters were so real and flesh out. There's so many moments in that film mm-hmm. that like I, I just when I just tell people about, it. you know, like they're like yeah. they're like these crystallized moments. There's the one like before in their concerts when he's telling the reporter guy about. Um, I think it was like a Marvin Gaye album, and it's like you mm-hmm. listen to the album, and he's like, and like before he sings, there's like this. This like single solitary woo <laughs> yeah. before he thinks, you know, that kind of you know that kind of excitement is the kind of thing that we're trying, you know, to do. Mm-hmm. And it was the what I liked about it most too is how these rock musicians loved all different kinds of music. Mm. And, and and it really is a story about like making music in the United States, mm. you know, and also, you know, like all the stuff with Lester Banks, with, mm-hmm. you know, um, the criticism, I mean, it's a story about American music, yeah. Um, and and it's and it's told in a fantastical way. It's also like it's like a seventeen-year-old's pipe dream. You get to get deflowered by three or four <laughs> beautiful ro- rocket right, kind of things yeah, along the way. Yeah. But it's also like, you know, and there's the scene where they sing "Tiny Dancer." Mm-hmm. I mean, like you, it just has like a, a really lived-in quality yeah. to all of it. You know, some of that is set design, some of that is practicals. Mm-hmm. Um, but they all, it, you know, it's, it's almost like felt to me like watching The Wonder Years where it's like, yeah. it, it, it's not at the present time, it's mm-hmm. in the past, but it's so well fleshed out that yeah. it, it doesn't feel, mm-hmm. nothing feels inauthentic about the characters. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, one of the reasons I like kind of put it on lists like this is that it surprised me. Like, I, I knew about the film, but I had really no expectations of liking it that much. Yeah. Um, like, it just didn't seem... I, I honestly don't really like that period of music, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't really draw me in. Uh, and so I, I, like, rented it. I think I watched it, like, alone and, like, was so surprised how much it affected me. I wanted to like rewatch it, mm-hmm. um, and that like surprised me too. So I would like return to it, and it like slowly dawned on me. I was like, man, this might be one of my favorite movies. Like yeah. I really enjoy it, and I think a lot of the things you talked about, the honesty in it, and sometimes the almost like edging on melodrama, but that it it's willing to kind of wear its heart on its sleeve. Yeah, and um, and it like works. 
Yeah. Um, and it, it, like you said, but those things are like true, true emotions and feelings that it's connecting to. And it, things like, you know, my brother is the one that drew me to the, a lot of the music that I care about now. And he, he was like my older brother. And so that was a big influence and in like what he saw in the music and the musicians and, um, told me, so I, I identified with those things. Um, and it had that kind of transforming power, even if this particular music, some of it didn't, wasn't my like cup of tea. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I agree for, for all those reasons. That's probably a little bit different of a film on my list than some of the yeah. other ones. There was, there was, I think two other ones that like, that were on the list that I sort of, uh, just sort of roughly draft out and yeah. draft it out in my head that you yeah. know, also in your list, which I mentioned one of which is the prestige, mm. um, which is my favorite, Christopher Nolan, Christopher Nolan film, yeah. w- without a doubt. Hmm. Um, Batman, yeah. Yeah. Or whatever, some Dark other Man, stuff. Yeah. Um, that? I mean... You love Inception. Yeah. yeah, I love Inception. I almost put Inception on it, honestly. No, I... I, I, I like d- it. But I then I would like, realize, like, the prestige oh, is the one, yeah. You know, like, it's like yet another movie that doesn't really use Ellen Page's potential. Yeah. Like, she has yet to find a film right. that really allows her to be the Janine Garofalo of this generation, and they just haven't done it yet. Yeah. You know, um... Whip it comes close, but it doesn't. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. the prestige is. I mean, like, I mean, Hugh Jackman is great. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian Bale is great. Mm-hmm. Um, David Bowie is great. David Bowie is great. Yeah. I mean, David Bowie immortalized as you know Nikolai Tesla. You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. You can't get much better. You know, and in a sense, it's like you know, it's scientific or magical realism mm-hmm. because of the fact that he actually makes two copies of himself. Right. In it, right. Which, like, it's, you know, and it's kind of weird it, that way. Yeah. It like blows the mind. Right. Um, in a way that you know it's not that fantastic like mm-hmm. certainly many many other films have done but you spend so much time um, in this world and you learn time and time again that he has a body double yeah. and that the Chinese guy is actually not very old <laughs> and, and you have all this stuff about the show um, you know it isn't until later that you get you know you get revealed that Christian Bale has, an, has, a, has a double mm-hmm. and it's like um and, and as far as, like, movies with twists, I like it so much better than anything Omnite Shyamalan has done. <laughs> and it's, it's also because, like, it, it tells you yeah. exactly what the truth is. You just don't believe it. Right. You know, yeah. and, like, you know, the, the character in the story that, yeah. doesn't, and then you as a viewer are like, no, I'm sure it's something mm-hmm. else. And you, yeah. But it, it is. Yeah. And then, you know, and also to see, like, the, the lengths to which he went to do this, mm-hmm. you know, to literally kill himself night after night. Right. It, you know, it's like a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's like staring into the abyss. It's this yeah. mind-boggling thing that, that they set up. Mm-hmm. You know, and it and it's just you know, and just like we get, we, we see the we see Christian Bale's character see yeah. the shot of the trap door, so he knows that it's fake. We don't hear anything, and then he appears behind you in that sort of last scene of it. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, it's fabulous. I used to also teach with this, um, like the the kind of opening scene where they're explaining like what the prestige is yeah and uh is that michael kane yeah yeah yeah. michael kane yeah and so he's explaining this and like he basically like tells you what's gonna happen in the movie like this is how we're gonna surprise you and and just like the layers of i think christopher nolan is really talking about like filmmaking and the audience and what you're doing and he's like you know we show you things and you just believe them because you want to like we just say it's true, so you're gonna believe it. Like you're mm-hmm. anytime you're walking into a theater or watching a film like this, you're dispelling your belief. So I uh, I think it's just fascinating that it's commentary on that. And for somebody who makes is known for making complex films, like 
this is probably his most complex. Yeah, but, and but I, still, I like I don't feel like any of it's a it waste. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I just I mean, there's a lot of stuff in in Batman's certainly God Inception that like. <laughs> It doesn't serve the story. Yeah. It's just needlessly... They get pretty messy. It's like yeah. a Rubik's Cube. Mm-hmm. The other thing I wanted to mention um, is The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I guess if my brother ever listened to this podcast, it's like funny that I haven't talked about it yet. I mean, like, The Hobbit was the first book my brother has ever read. A, my brother ever read aloud to me when I was uh-huh. a kid. It's the first book, like, I ever read myself. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and we watched. We had, like, the, the, the Rankin and Bass uh, Hobbit and Return of the King, and then mm-hmm. Ralph Bakshi's uh, Lord of the Rings, yeah, um, which is about it's just sort of like the first first, first book second, and a half. Yeah. Um, we, I used to watch those so again, like it would be like <laughs> you know every two or three weeks I'd watch Star Wars, and then those, um, and they were like the the story was like an absolute essential part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Like it was, you know, and and like <laughs> and I, I mean I think I'm. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Lord of the Rings fanboy. I'll, I'll put that out on the mm-hmm. table. I'm like an Uber. I'm an Uber fan. <laughs> um, and uh, I could talk for literally ever about the Lord of the Rings, but oh, I'll say is. the two things I want to say, I think, yeah. are, are the following. One. Actually, three. First, um, uh, we, like everyone who cares even the tiniest bit about the Lord of the Rings story, owes like an eternal debt of gratitude for Peter Jackson for mm. not doing a bad job. Mm. Whether you think it's awesome yeah. or not, like he did he did not screw it up. Yeah. Um, which right. can I mean like and I don't really ever know and, and Kristen Thompson, um, David Bordwell's wife, mm-hmm. wrote like a, a very detailed book called The Frodo Franchise about like how they sort of went about this whole process. Yeah. Um, I mean for me, like as a fan, um, it was like the year and a half or two years or maybe even more that they had the one ring.net mm-hmm. in which they had contributions from you know uh, fans and artists and everyone that sort of touched and loved this yeah. over time and they took that you know and, and even and sort of they had like you know the if you watch the making of they have like you know hundreds of suits of chain mail right. a, a year before they start shooting yeah um, and you know and so they like whether or not you agree that it came out well I thought it came out very well yeah. um, you are eternal debt of gratitude for not screwing it up and at least mm-hmm. doing all the things right second thing I'll say is I have never been so utterly like invested in a film as when I saw the you know the, the Fellowship of the, the Ring like I like I went with my brother and a bunch of people and like there were like six dudes dressed up as you know like characters in the film yeah and like, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching, and, and it's getting to the point where like um, Frodo and Samwise are breaking off in their own boat, and the fellowship mm-hmm. is sort of falling apart. And I'm, I'm just like staring at the screen, and this music is like sort of forlorn, and mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my god, it's over! Right. I was like, no, 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 no. no. Okay, so no. See, like it's over when they go to Mordor and they put the and the ring goes. Into, that's when it's, <laughs> that's it's not over that's now. Not, right? Yeah. I was like, oh my that's god! Like, it's actually because I, I was because I had been, I was just so used to watching the story, you know, mm-hmm. all the way through on right. our like six-hour VHS tape, mm-hmm. you know, reading it all the way through, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, and and I was so excited about all the characters and you know everything was going on. I'm like, I don't, I have to wait several years. To finish this, yeah. I, I was like, I, I'd never had that experience before, and certainly, um, never in uh, uh, like a movie 
in which it was part of a trilogy. Yeah. Like, even in Star Wars, like, they blew up the effing Death Star. Right. Like, There's some you, ending to it. Yeah. yeah you, some it's like, you don't, you, you can, that could be it, and you're fine. Yeah. Um, and the third thing I'll say about it is one of the first films that I, I think, and I don't know this sort of as an academic, but sort of as like a art pair academic, that just said, we're going to make three films. Yeah. We're going to make we're gonna make a yeah. trilogy. And along with that, like, we're going to make uh, a theatrical release that's going to be long. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make an extended cut that's even longer. Mm. Right? Yeah. And all of those things, I think, were great. Yeah. Um, you know, and I know that, like... In, I, I don't think I mean it's hard for me to sort of pick like which which of these films I like more because yeah. they're like essentially like a, like an eight hour film mm-hmm. right there's all kinds of details that show up in the extended versions that are for fans or super fans or people that care about these characters yeah. um, that are done with the same amount of quality mm-hmm. as the rest knowing from the beginning they weren't going to be in there right and so they 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 planned out and shot and did everything knowing that there would be these several kinds of releases mm-hmm. you know there are people that watch individual films people that watch the trilogy people that watch these um, yeah. extended cuts and I think I mean in a sense like uh, I don't know that that's ever been done before yeah um, I'm sure there may be an example out there um, but I don't think there is as a prominent one as this one um, and I think that Peter Jackson went on to do The Hobbit which was horrible Almost, I mean, like the first, I don't know, like the first 30 minutes is okay, and the rest is horrible. Um, So he obviously can make horrible (laughs) stuff, but I think uh, even when when I look at what, like, Disney's doing with their grand Marvel plan, Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't even seem as, and and it's sprawling, like, that Marvel business is sprawling. But, like, Peter Jackson did it better, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. given he was managing three films as opposed to, like, Seven or twelve or whatever right. Disney's doing. He, he even though you know like that you know for Disney's Marvel like stuff is written you know they mm-hmm. have some sense of it like they're like making it up as they go along like right, they don't right. they like don't they don't have, have this big uh, you know Avengers one two and three arc yeah you know like the quality right. is inconsistent you know like mm-hmm. and you know and Peter Jackson directed all those films all the way through yeah. and you see his hand and his style through all three of them mm-hmm. um, and that I mean. That puts it. I mean, like, I also am a fan of like the actual stories, yeah. but that element of making that size of a story, you know, mm-hmm. that many hours on screen, just puts it in like the top films of all time. Like, yeah. if I had to make, you know, like, in like a top twenty of all time, like it, it has mm-hmm. to be in there. And, and again, like, and even I, I, I did the same thing on my list. I put Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah, you know, because it's yeah. like it's all like one piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's amazing that he did those all, all at once and still had this consistency. And even with you know. One of the hardest things of those films was waiting the extra whatever, I don't know, it might have been even like six months or something to get the extended version. Like, it came yeah. out the theatrical on, on DVD, and then you had to, like, wait to get the extended. And I always waited, and I was like, I also just want to watch it again. But even that those all work together so smoothly. And, I, I, and maybe, sometimes I wonder if it's because I'm sort of into that sort of thing. But you watch other sort of fantasy films and uh and you you know they feel sort of fake they feel artificial in some ways like they're trying hard and so i think one of the biggest biggest accomplishment is like this feels sort of like a period film you know like and you talked about all the costuming and i think that's certainly like part of it but um i think it's more i think it's more than that i think it's his direction of the actors and uh 
and how they're portrayed and more I, they bring in the naturalism to them that he understood that world um, yeah i mean create, i think I mean, that, it's like world building but yeah yeah i mean we, we could go on and on i want to bring up one last sort of topic and theme that encapsulate encapsulates a few of the films like on my list and see if you agree um, looking at my list, and again, it may be my age during this period and what I was interested in, uh, Sofia Coppola recently released The Beguiled, and yeah. we will hopefully talk about it at some point. Yeah. We haven't had a chance to see it. But it made me think about, reflect on her films, and I realized like, it's, it was close, so close to 2000, which is getting farther away now that I kind of forget about it sometimes. But Lost in Translation, I think, was hugely influential for oh, me. yeah. Um, and looking at some of the other um, films on my list... Well, and then in, in The Virgin Suicides, but does, yeah. that, does that happen... Is that like 99 or something? That, that must have been before 2000. Okay. Because yeah. um, again, yeah, her early... Saying, I mean, like... Those are early films, yeah. yeah. You don't see... Yeah. But I think there's, you know... We could almost say Almost Famous too, but films like The Eternal Sunshine, um, Adaptation... Even something like In the Mood for Love, which is more of a period film... Um, but a lot of these films... Well, but some of the... I mean, other Wong Kar Wai stuff, too. Yeah, other Wong Kar Wai that's more modern. Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which... Uh, you know, I think these films kind of, to me, represented, I realize, a theme of, like, melancholy that kind of overshadows them. Mm-hmm. And um, this feeling of sort of being lost, like lost in translation and kind of drifting. And I don't really buy all the, like, millennial stuff right now and all that that we can identify I don't think it's too early and I don't identify as a millennial by any means but I think I wonder what you think about kind of if if there was this representation of people feeling that way in sort of the modern world and um, I don't know if you've seen it but three times literally like almost like three short films um, different characters in these different times and the first one is around like the 50s 60s if I remember right and is just kind of this beautiful representation of kind of this love story. Um, and then uh, we get into modern times in the, in the third section, and it's kind of about, you know, this disconnect between, um, you know, communicating through cell phones and, and computers and social networks and things like that, um, but very moody and sort of sad. But I, I don't know. It started to hit hit home a lot more that I realized like how much these films sort of portray that. And I think Lost in Translation for me is the epitome for that of that. Um, just like the the tone of it, the mood, the pace was really interesting. And I'm seeing I think I'm seeing a lot more of that sort of feeling of like young people who feel sort of a little bit lost and confused and maybe that's youth in general <laughs> any time period um but also like sort of trying to fill their lives with these sort of fun experiences and hoping that sort of gets them by also i think watching master of none this new season which i like also kind of portrays like this modern new york life and sort of hard, hard to navigate um using technology uh, to try to build these relationships and things like that. I don't know. So, I don't know how you feel about that. But well, I mean, I was just thinking something the other day. Like, the school yeah. our kids go to is having their 100th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, what was it like 100 years ago? Yeah. Um, and it's like, there hadn't even really been cars for that long. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, like, like in like the the first for pleasure car really yeah. ma- marketed for like someone other than a dad was a nineteen sixty seven Chevy, right? Or fifty seven. Uh, you know, F- 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, super embarrassing. I don't know a whole lot about yeah, cars, no, no, yeah. but you know, like you know, like, and you know, and looking yeah. back, because there there are a lot of antique car enthusiasts here where we mm-hmm. live in Madison. So sometimes you'll see like a Model T driving by in in fairly good condition. Yeah. Um, and to think about like what the world looked like in nineteen, you know, nineteen ten. Yeah. You know, as comparison to what it looks like now, like, you know. In just in terms of like cars, because mm-hmm. um, certainly there have been like buildings and whatnot, but like yeah. so the world, I mean, I don't even know. Like, there's a lot of things like the the practical concerns of our world mm-hmm. have been changed greatly. Yeah, um, and I think that for the sensitive among us, <laughs> um, that has an anxiety in and of itself. Yeah, um, and when certainly I think in popular consciousness in the late 1960s and the early 1970s when we started to, to really grasp psychological and environmental impact mm-hmm. of a lot of the stuff we were doing yeah. um, it, it adds a, like an apocalyptic element to progress mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's something that of course gets played out in sci-fi all the time yeah. but it's also like a present anxiety mm-hmm. um, and it's like a present um, feeling yeah. um, and it often is related to a feeling of alienation mm-hmm. in that like the world if you don't feel like it's generally going in the right direction or generally like yeah. a good place yeah. it's it's hard to feel like you want to be part of it or that mm-hmm. being a part of it is meaningful yeah. I mean one of the things that I like about in Lost in Translation um, I mean in addition you know I'm not sure I mean I assume um, the young lady is our protagonist yeah probably yeah I um, so. but I mean like Bill Murray is like totally totally out of place yeah you know and it, he's got this weird american thing and, uh-huh. the, and like and, and, the, and the scene where we get the use of you know intensity yeah um is a masterful scene and yeah. it kind of comes out of nowhere i'm like mm-hmm. wow like there's clearly and he's like there's a lot riding on me doing this and i don't know why you people care about how i say century time so much yeah. um you know but like where do you know like the the um, I don't remember her name in the movie, but you know that uh, that character. Like she has nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't belong. And like right. Bill Murray doesn't belong, but she really doesn't, she doesn't belong. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, and so I think that there's. I don't know. I mean, I, I would agree with you that that it's certainly there. I mean, I don't know that it's uh, unique to our time period, but right. I think there's an element of it that is. Mm-hmm. In that, and 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 I think it's this apocalyptic part. Yeah. In that, like, if you recognize that, like. You know the, the the rapid progress we make, you know, has this really really high cost yeah. of destroying our planet. And we yeah we don't totally know the effects or yeah how quickly yeah, yeah like you, you can't you can't be fully excited about it. <laughs> you can't fully embrace it. Yeah. And I think even for people that sort of think like global warming is bunk or that you know pollution mm-hmm. is bunk or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you still have at least some anxiousness that like world might be changing in a way that you don't like yeah. even if it's like nobody's landlines anymore or right. like you know you 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 have you know all the master not relegate a lot of actual human interaction to mm-hmm. a lot of digital stuff that regulates the actual human interaction and it's not yeah. very satisfying yeah and the other powerful thing um maybe we'll end on with last in translation you know i i think it's it's unique to reflect on this list over the last 17 years because 
when I saw Lost in Translation, it's closer to, I think it was like 2003 or something. So that's closer to the beginning of this period. And there's a point in the film where they're sort of like, had this long night and they're laying on the bed together. And we kind of don't quite know what's going to happen in this situation, but they end up kind of just in this like half sleepy phase conversation reflecting on things and and she kind of asked him like how how did you how can you ever be ready to have like kids like that seems overwhelming to even like think about at this point and looking back at the film now where i'm like her when i saw it yeah and now looking at it i'm not as old as bill murray it was in the film but like i have kids i have three kids now so i'm like on the other end of things looking yeah. at it and i think at least for my phase uh in my life it's unique to to kind of reflect on the film and see it from like my perspective has switched mm-hmm. on this film and still feeling like i mean i don't know i think that's that's a powerful thing um that that film does that you can see it again from both sides uh both sort of ends of life and now i'm i, I would look at it much more from like what are my kids going to be feeling like when they're, you know, starting out their, their young life in their 20s or whatever? Um, what are things going to be like in them dealing with that? Or even looking ahead to them having kids or, like, my grandkids or something is much more in my mind than I, I, I would <laughs> starting th- a marriage or something, you know? I mean, I would say this, that if I think about, like, a lot of the films that were, you know, influential for me during this mm-hmm. time period, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're different than, like, The Breakfast Club. Yeah. You know, and, and other films that I love, like, they weren't mm. really my films that, 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 and like when, when they came out, but they, yeah. you know, became later. I mean, like, there is, I mean, I, I feel very self-conscious about this, <laughs> but, I mean, there is, like, um, the films that uh, come out in this time period that I look at, they, see, yeah. they seem a lot less innocent. You know, like, yeah, yeah. like the view of the world seems a lot less more cynical, kind of. And, uh, yeah, yeah and, yeah. and 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 I don't know that like that's some sort of big thing you can track, but it, it again, like when we sort of get get a grip on the fact that like our progress towards you know our, you know like even if you think of something like pharmaceuticals, like mm-hmm. best medical ever in human history, mm-hmm. and yet you can't have that conversation without talking about. Um, you know, big pharma and the way yeah. in which, like, the, the corporate uh, usage and ownership of certain patents and things has a tremendously harmful effect on people, and mm-hmm. and whether that pushes you into sort of like a cyberpunk world, yeah, um, or it pushes you into like a Handmaid's Tale world, or mm. you know, or something else. Like, there, there, acknowledgement that like you're not gonna, we're not gonna finally arrive somewhere, yeah. Um, uh, is is a, a characteristic of a, a lot of these films, yeah. you know, and so even even if they don't take place in the present, like yeah. Moulin Rouge, like it starts with the death, mm-hmm. and you know, not every film that starts with the death is that way, <laughs> um, but there is. I mean, if I look back at like some of the films that I liked in the late '80s and early '90s, it's a different world, mm-hmm. um, and it, and, and it sure. seems at least publicly the way the world was talked about, mm-hmm. which much much more innocently. Yeah. And then you had, you know, films like The Mosquito Coast or Weeds or other sorts of weird films that we watched in our house <laughs> about, like, you know, or even, like, you know, if you imagine, like, Rachel Carson's Silent Spring, like, you have mm. these pointed statements about possible worlds. Yeah. But it seems like a lot of these films are tales about our real world in which mm. this stuff, which was previously a possibility, is the anxiety of it is creeping into our yeah. experience. For sure. Yeah. Um, so I will uh, put my list in our show notes. 
um, and I can link to the original New York Times list mm -hmm. if you want to reflect. I'm sure as we, since these are important films, at least to me, and you've mentioned some of yours, yeah. they will come up again. I didn't get to talk about all of these or everything on the New York Times list. So I'm sure they'll come up again, but it's kind of a fun exercise to, uh, to mm -hmm. go back and find out what are influential things for us. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and um, we'll talk more next time. Yeah, and if you feel so motivated, post your top 10, your top 15, your top 25 in the comments, and maybe we'll talk about it. Yeah, and you can also email us at extratextualshow at gmail.com. Cool. Thanks. Thanks.